Today's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And then the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After spending 40 days and 40 nights without food, Jesus was hungry. Then the devil came to him and said, If you are God's son, order these stones to turn into bread. But Jesus answered, The scripture says, Human beings cannot live on bread alone, but need every word that God speaks. Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem, the holy city, set him on the highest point of the temple, and said to him, If you are God's son, throw yourself down, for the scripture says, God will give orders to his angels about you. They will hold you up with their hands, so that not even your feet will be hurt by the stones. Jesus answered, But the scripture also says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all all their greatness. All this I will give to you, the devil said, if you only kneel down and worship me. And then Jesus answered, Go away, Satan. The scripture says, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left Jesus, and angels came and helped him. This is the word of the Lord. This is the first Sunday in Lent. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, but uh, you know because of the predicted blizzard, we had to cancel the Ash Wednesday service to begin our Lent. And because we have been counting on participating more vigorously this year, in in Ash Wednesday, making dinner with our fellow congregation and coming together for the Vespers, we didn't want to miss out. So we decided to have Ash Sunday. Ash Sunday, I mean, uh, we, Ash Sunday uh, is is not, uh, what would you say, uh, liturgically maybe correct? but uh, we're going for it anyway. I mean, ironically, we've been holding this Ash Wednesday service at the House of Mercy for like the last 28 years. And in all of that time, the average attendance at that Wednesday service has been uh, about three people. So um, we probably could have not canceled the service, and even in spite of the predictive snowfall keeping everyone at home, we could still hit our historic average, probably. We could have. So, but now, with this new Ash Sunday service, so many more of you can uh, participate and experience this imposition of the ashes. And uh, you might be asking, you know, is this uh, imposition of ashes, is it something that uh, I should be uh, afraid of? If, if you haven't done it before, is it something, is it... Uh, it's really completely safe. I, I want to let you know. Um, you know, if this is your first time participating in the imposition of ashes, there really is nothing to fear. I mean, except uh, existentially. I mean, we will be providing a ritual reminder of your eventual death. But, you know, that's also the fun part, I think. You know, it can be. Um, of course, it's perfectly fine not to participate uh, in the imposition of ashes. You know, it's if you're not uh, quite ready to have a ritual reminder of your uh, inevitable death, 
or you're worried about clogging your pores in what admittedly can be a problem area. Um, but I just want to reassure you that uh, these ashes are organic, sustainable, um, and I don't know, maybe like carbon neutral. Or wait, they're probably mostly carbon. Never mind. Um, well, they're carbon forward, I guess. I don't know. Um, but just let me reassure you, if you have any semblance of a skin, regular skincare routine, that's going to be no problem, really, at all. Um, as for the existential anxiety caused by the ritualized reminder of your impending death, there's really not a lot that can be done. So uh, let's start Lent. Lent begins with the test, this temptation, as Isaiah read. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and nights and afterward was famished. And the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves uh, of bread. But Jesus answered, it's written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil goes on to test Jesus a couple more times. Jesus apparently comes up with the right answers, pass the test of temptation by the devil, so the devil leaves. The Holy Spirit fills up Jesus, leads him into the wilderness, and then apparently leaves him out there in the hands of the devil. It says devil a lot in this. Devil. The devil. I mean, it's a bit much, wouldn't you say? Like, um... There are, of course, plenty of great Lent sermons I could give here about uh, the temptation and beginning Lent with this text and how, uh, you know, Lent is really a time to redouble our efforts uh, to not give in to temptation just like Jesus did. Um, but uh, because you're like not Jesus and Jesus is God incarnate and you at best are a pretty good person who frankly could be a little better, I mean, this might not be the right way to go with this. I mean, this is not really what it's all about, this. It's not about, you know, trying to be a little bit better or a lot better. It's not about that at all. Um, but in order to get to what it might be about, I, I need to get rid of the devil in this completely. I need to exercise the devil, uh, if you will, from this discussion. Be gone, Satan. I have to get rid of the devil because, well... I don't mean to just speak for myself, I'll speak for you as well. Um, for liberals, the devil's kind of embarrassing. I mean, really, it's kind of embarrassing. I mean, really, there's this, actually, there's one guy who, uh, one being who is evil and, and runs the whole show trying to make everybody do evil things. So then we make it that guy responsible for all the evil we do. That's a cartoon, you know? People do evil things all the time for all kinds of tragic reasons. It hurts and it's hard. And I don't think it helps to blame it on the devil. So the devil is actually kind of like a hindrance to understanding what this is all about for us. Now, I'm not saying liberals don't like pointing at one particular guy and calling him evil incarnate, you know, and making that guy responsible for all the evil things that are going on. You know, that... Uh, we just call him a different name. But hey, let's forget about the personification of evil. Let's talk 
instead about motivational salience. You know, I don't think that would embarrass us at all. Motivational salience? No. Um, Instead of the term devil, which seems cliche and cartoonish and, you know, something that people only, the people only believe in who think that one guy who is truly the devil is America's savior, that's for them. But motivational salience, that seems right for us. Because it, it seems like a, a, com, a complex intellectual concept that you kind of feel like you've heard of before, but aren't sure 100% what it means. You know, and I know that you like to learn stuff, right? So when I say motivational salience, I can see you kind of sit up a little bit. Yeah. Motivational salience and its subset, incentive salience, uh, which we're particularly interested in today, describes the neurological mechanism of desire, of want. In popular culture, dopamine is often portrayed as the main chemical of pleasure, as in, you know, the dopamine rush you get when you exercise or meditate or practice self-care or have a regular skincare routine. But current scientific opinion is that dopamine, instead of delivering pleasure, provides motivational salience. In other words, dopamine signals the perceived motivational prominence of an outcome, which in turn propels a person like you and me's behavior toward achieving that pleasurable outcome. Motivational salience is the desire. It's the want, the motivation to pursue that thing that gives you pleasure. It's the itch in your psyche that you are dying to scratch. It's not the scratching, it's the itching. And quite often it's reported that the, the desire is a much more intense experience than sometimes that which satisfies the desire. You know, we're talking about neurological intensity which is some of the most intense kind. Is motivational salience, I mean, could motivational salience be what the gospel writers meant when they were talking about the temptation of the devil? In a time when gospel writers had a very limited understanding of neurology, could they have been attempting to describe motivational salience with their talk of temptation, it's impossible to know, really. At the beginning of this story, it says that Jesus goes out into the wilderness and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, fasting is, uh, people do it for many different reasons and is one of the main ones historically has been um, Weight loss? No, I mean, historically, it's been um, a spiritual practice. It's popular in all major religions, uh, Christians and Muslims and, uh, and Judaism. Elijah fasted for 40 days. Moses fasted for 40 days. It's all over the, the New Testament. It's this practice. The practice of fasting is a way to connect the body and its physical needs to like less tangible 
sorts of uh, values, such as self-denial or repentance, or to uh, physicalize uh, some sort of uh, um, desire, physicalize some sort of need, to feel it in your body. So in Lent, we read this text at the beginning of Lent, because Lent is uh, traditionally a time of fasting. Now, maybe you've done this before in the past when you were a kid. I don't know why kids, because they always want to give up, like, I don't know, candy or something like that. Or, you know, you give up, uh, you give up drinking or smoking or I don't know what else. You give up uh, fried foods, these sort of things. You want to deny yourself of some pleasure. But, of course, that is not what this is all about. That's, you know, that's that thing that old devil's trying to tell you not to do. But uh, from a, a neurological motivational salience point of view, what fasting actually is, is um, not scratching that itch. It's not, it's not just giving up that pleasure. It is not satisfying the desire. It's not satisfying the want. The thing that drives you to do the thing, that's what needs to be examined. Fasting can be a practice that makes us aware of what we really desire, makes us aware of what we really want. And James Allison tells us that that is the most healthy spiritual thing to come to understand. Not at first to judge your desire, but to become aware of what it is that you truly desire. And so when your brain is doing all the things to move you in the direction to get that thing, to scratch that itch, in Lent, I would encourage you to practice resisting that, examining that. Not scratching the itch. It's different than the devil made you do it. And I don't want to judge the brain chemistry. But I think, uh, let's do this in this year of spiritual practice. Forget about giving up whatever, the pleasure, anything that comes at the end of that. Let's instead practice becoming aware of what it is that really motivates us and the desires that we have. Let's begin that practice tonight.